Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we proudly bring to you Mormonism Live! Shut up and sit down. Hello, Mr. Real. Okay, yeah, okay, go ahead. That's enough there. That's well, enough. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop the clapping, folks. Appreciate everybody. 112 people in here right now. We'll be up around 300 or so in a few minutes. But RFM, good to see you. We are approaching Happy New Year. Yes, and I'm very, very happy that this year is about done. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little scared what 2022 holds. That Omicron virus is... Uh, it's, it seems like that's a little more contagious, but a little less deadly. Yes, I'm waiting for the new year so I can have a brand new year to screw up. Yeah, they said that the Spanish flu kind of worked the same way, that it mutated, became more contagious, but less uh, less harmful, and it just became essentially a common cold at some point, you know? Right, it's what viruses do. Yeah, it's what viruses do what viruses do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but I hope you had a very wonderful Christmas. We won't go into a lot of detail yeah. about it, but I mean, uh, unless there was something exciting that happened, like your, your haircut that you got this morning. Yeah, yeah. I was a little late for work with that one. But uh, it was one of the best Christmases I'd ever had. All of our kids came back into town from Ohio, California, and we just for two or three days just kind of sat around and played family games and had a lot of fun. That sounds like heaven. It, it was almost the celestial kingdom. Yes. Someone wants to know, are those new glasses, Bill? I have about four or five pairs of glasses. They're all from Zenni Optical, 20 to 30 bucks a piece, but I like them because they're colorful. So it's got red on the sides, gold on the front. Yeah. That is really, really nice. By the way, I've got an announcement to make. You've got a brief news article to cover. Before we get into the meat of tonight's episode, we've got a very special guest waiting in the wings. So let me just make this announcement that I have been booked and tickets have been made and confirmed to fly to Southern Utah, uh, not this weekend, but the weekend after, I will be presenting on Sunday, January 9th, 2022. Let me bring up my notes to make sure I get this correct. This is being sponsored by the Southern Utah Post-Mormon Support Group. It will be held at the Hilton Garden Inn in beautiful St. George. That's close by where you live, isn't it, Bill? I live one city over in Washington, Utah. Okay, great. Well, I hope that you will be able to make it. Um, and, uh, I have actually three subjects that I am figuring out mm. which one I'm going to present on. Gotcha. Uh, do you want to tell us what those three are and we could all take a vote? We'll decide for you. Well, my gosh, I guess I could, I could. Um, one of them is, uh, great discoveries in Mormon studies that I have not made. That's one. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to guess it's some of those documents in Joseph uh, Fielding Smith's vault. <laughs> Yes. Well, no, that's not what it's actually kind of funny. I think it's an interesting thing. However, the second one would be um, uncomfortable places in the Book of Mormon, which has to do with back back when I was a TBM and I read the Book of Mormon many, many times. But there were places even in my most faithful days, places in the Book of Mormon that I would get to and they would make me a little bit uneasy. So don't want to talk about what any of those are. Some of you might guess, but uh, that would be a different subject. And the third one I can't remember right now. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, okay, well, I won't be able to help you with the one you don't remember. Yes, we'll see if it comes up while you're making your announcement. Yeah, actually, I'm I'm going to be at the Thrive in Las Vegas on January 22nd. So uh, if anybody's in the Vegas Henderson area, uh, would love to have you sign up for that and see you there. Uh, so we're excited for that. And then I'll just show you here really quick. I'll put it up on the on the screen. Um, let me just get to the overlays here. I'll be really quick. This came up in the news this week. I don't want to we don't want to put a whole episode into this, but it is tangentially connected to the conversation tonight. Uh, you're about to to proceed with, and I'll just take up maybe a minute here. Uh, what happened this week was that James Harris, the man there on your screen, uh, he was in the middle of writing a masterclass kind of thing for the church on prejudice, and he was hired by the church to write that. And here's the church's advertisement, by the way, Deseret Video, you see that there? And here it says, coming soon, James C. Jones, uh, abandoning attitudes and actions of prejudice. So he was asked by the church and hired by the church to write a manual on diminishing prejudice in the church and its members. Well, that sounds like a really positive step forward, Bill. It was, it is, or was a positive step forward. Hold on, RFM. Let me get to the, uh, let me get to the uh, mic drop section of this, which is in the mid. It, he's almost completed it. In fact, I think by now he has finished it, but he was almost done with the manual. And he put a post on social media back when Elder Holland gave the musket talk and he criticized the prejudice of Elder Holland in that talk and the church immediately fired him. And that was recently made known through James uh, Medium article that he released this week. So he was hired by the church to help rid the church of prejudice. He calls on one of its leaders who made a talk that uh, had prejudice in it. He criticizes that leader, and as you well know, it's wrong to criticize leaders of the church, even if the criticism is true. Right. So you can criticize everyone else in the church. You just can't criticize the leaders. In fact, you could even get away with criticizing Jesus, but Elder Holland is off limits. And so James has now been uh, released and let go. All those who can uh, give a vote of thanks may manifest it by the right hand. Any opposed by saying, no, we don't do that for no. the releases, do we? Right. And uh, anyway, it's an interesting thing that happened because if the church is ever going to get on the right track, it's, its leaders are going to have to be more accountable and more transparent. It kind of makes me think that this whole manual was sort of more form over that more form than substance. The, the, you can tell the church wasn't exactly serious, were they? It doesn't sound like it. It kind of sounds like your excommunication trial. It, it seems a lot like that, my friend. Um, the one where but, I think your state president actually admitted that, well, it doesn't make any difference if Elder Oaks is lying. The problem isn't whether he's lying. The problem is you calling him a liar. President Carnavali, who was my state president at the time, acknowledged and admitted in front of not only me and my wife, but two of our friends who were at our home as well, that it appears as though Elder Holland lied, but we're not allowed to say that. No, no, nope, nope. Because this church is all about the truth, Bill. The yep. truth. Yep. The church is about the truth. Don't don't harm the good name. We have to protect the good name. Anybody who has to make extra steps to protect someone's good name, maybe the name isn't that good. Yes, as the Gospel of John says, the truth will set you free. Yeah. And in the Mormon Church, if you tell the truth, then you will be set free from the Mormon Church. And and I am free, free at last. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we are to. The, the main topic of tonight's show, which is titled, by the way, Apostate BYU Professors. Mm -hmm. So I was contacted by a 
former BYU professor. Her name is Killian. Excuse me, last name is Killian. First name is Louisa Killian. Louisa Killian. And what we're going to talk about tonight, she was in the dance department. She was an adjunct professor in modern dance at BYU. We're going to talk about how she came to be a professor at BYU in the dance department and how it is that she is no longer a professor at BYU in the dance department or in any department for that matter. Can we bring her on? Ta-da. There she is. How are you doing, Louisa? Hello. So happy to be here. It is so great to have you on. Oh my gosh. I'm really excited about it because this has to do with two of my great passions in life. First one being dance, the second being Mormonism. And we had a great talk earlier today. We shared a lot of stories. I think I was doing more sharing perhaps, but anyway, it was a wonderful trip down memory lane. We're not going to talk about that tonight. Sorry, everybody. You'll have to listen for that at some other time. But what we want to talk about tonight, and if you will share with our audience, first off, a little bit about your background in Mormonism and dance. And can you take us up to mm, getting married? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I was I was raised in Rexburg, Idaho, which some people refer to the Saudi Arabia of Mormonism. <laughs> um, and I, I was things are born, pretty orthodox there, aren't they? Yes, they are. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't born there. Um, I had moved a lot when I was younger. Um, my dad was from Kentucky. My mother was from Texas. And so I was I was raised in kind of a luckily critical thinking artistic home. Um, and I was very much in it, um, wanted to do what was right. I, uh, went to BYU, Idaho for an English degree. I was a drummer for like 14 years. Um, a drummer? On How did that happen? Well, I was raised in a musical family and I also was a woman who liked to do things I wasn't supposed to do. So yes. <laughs> I saw all the boys and I was like, I want to do that. So, um, yeah, so so I had I had three loves. I had dance and drumming and English, and I and I loved all three of them. And I went to BYU Idaho to get an English degree. Was very much determined not to get married young, um, but ended up marrying young at twenty one uh, in mm. the Rexburg Idaho Temple. Yes, and I'm not going to ask you how old you are currently. I am thirty. I'm an open book. So. Okay, but I didn't ask. That's the important thing. Yeah. <laughs> So you're 30 years old and you got married at 21. So that's nine years ago, if I'm doing my math correctly. Yes. <laughs> so can I just ask you, why is it that even though, first off, you have this uh, determination that's counter to the church culture in which you're raised and which you're very devoted to, that is putting the pressure generally on women and men too, but women mostly to get married young. Why is it that you were opposed to that and determined not to? And then second after that, how is it that you got married young anyway? Yeah, um, I was always sensitive to the little bits of sexism that I sensed in the culture. And I always blamed it on the culture um, where like the scouts were doing really cool things. And and um, I just sensed my difference as a woman. And I was raised in a household where my education was encouraged. And I thought it was ridiculous for women to go to school in order just because they wanted to find a man. And so I was always about... Um, you know, wanting to pursue a career and wanting to get an education. And I was open to the idea of marriage, but I thought it was ridiculous to tie my whole identity um, to that as a woman. I, I just always felt that urge to fight back against it and say, you know, what? I'm worth more than that. And also um, my, my dad had passed away from colon cancer when I was 15. And my mom luckily had a degree, but she had six kids to take care of. And right. so 
they always taught me, you know, you need to get an education because you never know what's going to happen in life. And I always really, really um, respected that. How far have you gotten in your education, your post-secondary, when you got married at 21? I was, I had just graduated, actually, with my bachelor's. I didn't go on a mission, um, and I finished my degree in three years. Okay, yeah. so that's a bachelor's in English. Yes. And where was that? You said BYU-Idaho? Yes. Okay. So you're ready to go. You get married in the temple. Yes. And in answer to your second question, my my perspective changed because I met someone um, who I'd known in high school, but he kind of came back into my life. And he seemed very different than the typical Mormon male I had met in the sense that he was a little bit more forward and open um, just about pursuing me. And I... It was one of those where like he presented himself as the perfect person and would get me gifts. And it was very much like you are my soulmate right off the bat. And I bought it. And, you know, I believed in kind of eternal things and eternal marriage and, and, and finding the one. And so I completely fell head over heels. And the next thing to do, of course, was get married. So get married quickly and all those things. So. So you get married in the temple. By the way, we're going to split this at this point, okay? We're going to pursue a little bit later what it is that happened with you and how you got a job at BYU and getting your master's before that, of course. But there was something that happened. There's a reason that we're not mentioning the name mm-hmm. of the, the man that you got married to back in uh, when you were 21, nine years ago. So it would have been 2012? Yeah. Okay. So 2012. Yeah. And you get married and then things sort of start unraveling and maybe uh, you start seeing a different side to this man after you got married to him. Yes. Yeah. So um, I had never been married before, never had sex before, never any of those things. Um, And it just seemed like as soon as I got married, there was a shift. Um, And a year after I got married, the uh, police showed up at my door, knocked on the door and arrested my husband. And I had no idea what was going on. They showed up and they arrested him for a felony charge. Um, Do you say felony or phony? A felony. Felony charge. Okay. Felony charge. And I had no idea what it was for. And I was basically in shock. Um, and a whole bunch of events happened. Uh, but But basically, I finally found out that he had stolen credit cards from the LDS temple. We were working there as workers um, renting clothing and he had stolen cash from a register and credit cards um, from people's lockers, as well as some credit cards from BYU Idaho students. And he had bought silly things with them. He just stole them and decided to go to the grocery store and things like that. Um, And then it just unraveled. And I found out more and more that he had been, he had stolen things for a long time and, and just lots of, deceit and lies. So he ended up going to jail and I ended up having to decide if I was going to stay with them. And because Mormonism and the LDS church, you know, put such an emphasis on eternal families, I wasn't going to give up on it. So I ended up staying. Right. And this is an amazing sidelight to your story. It's far from the only aspect of your story, though it does play into your personal story, but this actually made the news. Yeah. And this is something that's remarkable to me because one would think that If there were any place on earth where your personal possessions would be safe, it would be at an LDS temple. Of course. And, and, but you, was it you working there along with him? Did you work there as well? 
Yeah, so we worked there together in the clothing rental. Usually our shifts were together. And this is a mark to me, I mean, of extreme devotion. You're just got married and you have a lot of other things going on, I'm presuming, including trying to get education and career and all those things started and maybe a family for all I know. And but you're also on top of everything else you're doing in church, you are volunteering to work at the temple in the clothing department. Yeah. And so he actually took I, I've read the article. Can you throw that up there, Maven? We've decided we're not going to mention uh, this gentleman's name. It's public record. It's in the the newspaper uh, and anybody can find it if they want to. But we're just going to redact that. And thank you to Maven for redacting the name out of this. Yeah, there are a bunch of small thefts, including out of the till at the clothing. Um, I'm sorry, the clothing rental place. I don't know the technical term for it in the temple. I've been there a lot. I've rented clothes there a lot. What's it called? Clothing rental. Sure. Priestcraft, isn't it? I thought it was priestcraft. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the priestcraft department, the priestcraft counter. Yeah. So they're doing that. and But he's helping himself out of the till. And then there are people who are patrons there, I'm, I'm presuming. Uh, who had their clothes and maybe a wallet in the clothes with a, um, I don't know, a credit card or cash in it. And there are some of those that he uh, helped himself to. Is that right? Yeah, he just stole credit cards from, from the lockers. Yeah. Yes. And you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of when I read the book, The Godmakers by Ed Decker back in the 1980s. And out of the many, many allegations he threw out against Mormonism in the church, he thought, it was very strange that in the LDS temple, they had lockers with locks on them. Right. And he asked the rhetorical question, why is it that in the LDS temple, they have to have locks on their lockers to protect their personal effects? And I guess now we know the answer. Yes. And you, it doesn't even enter your mind that that could be a possibility until it happens. And then you go, oh, yeah, there's a reason those things are there. <laughs> you know, You know what I wanted to do was I wanted to like open one up or lock it, sorry, lock it, take the key out, put it into a different locker, close that one, pull the key out, put that in a different locker, close it, pull the key out, put it in a different locker. And I never did that, but that was as mischievous as I thought to be. <laughs> You're a bad boy. You've been a bad egg from the beginning. It's no wonder you turned out the way you did, Bill. Yeah. Yeah. Oh the church gosh. is better off without me. So <laughs> there were other things that happened. Obviously this is an example par excellence of the individual that you are married to. There are other things that happen that end up leading to the demise of your first marriage. Did you want to share those as much as you want to with the audience, Louisa? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I decided to stay with him. Um, I have, you know, vivid memories of visiting him in jail in this little Rexburg town, you know, that I had no idea um, any kind of that, that sort of world. Um, it was very lonely. So I, there was a lot of trust issues. Um, we went through counseling um, with an LDS counselor, which was really interesting. Um, but basically, with, through counseling, they sort of helped me to make the decision that if anything to the severity of distrust happened again, I would need to end. I, I wanted to end the marriage. I couldn't, I couldn't take any more emotional shock. So we stayed married for, I mean, by the end of it, it was four and a half years we were married. I got accepted to a master's degree at the University of Utah for dance. Um, during the time that he was incarcerated. So luckily I had a career and things to go for. So I ended up coming to the University of Utah and he came with me. Um, and uh, we started 
trying to rebuild everything. And then out of the blue, while I was in grad school, um, a woman in my apartment complex approached me with text messages from him that basically were sexual in nature. Um, and I found out he had been cheating on me through this woman. And I, well, you know, confronted him. With her? Yeah. So this is direct evidence? Yes. This isn't just someone giving the rumor? No. No, this oh. was this was evidence of text messages and things. And then I confronted him and he said, yes, that he had written those. And that was, you know, that was all real. Um, and it was just such a shock to my system because, again, out of the blue, no, no clue this was coming. Um, and so I decided to get divorced because uh, and, and it's it was really it's so terrifying to be married to someone who you don't know what they're going to do at any given time. You don't know how they're going to hurt you or how they're the lying, the lying and the deception is very scary. So couldn't take it anymore. And that's when I decided to get a divorce. Okay. So yeah. when, and you got divorced in 2006, 16, 16. Um, it would have been, yeah. Or 17 officially. Okay. So Maybe. really this is quite recent, just four years ago. Yes. Yeah. All right, but you've been accepted into the master's program at the yep. University of Utah? Yes, modern dance specific. Yeah, wonderful program. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Oh, is that a two-year program? It's a three-year. Three-year program to get your master's, and you wanted to get your master's because? I wanted to teach. Right. I finally decided dance was something I was willing to work at, and, and I loved teaching. It was my absolute passion. So I said, you know what? I'll get into debt. I'm going to go for it. That's what I love. So can I tell you something? Yeah, go for it. Um, I have mentioned this before, but it's been a long time ago. Early on in my career in the LDS church, if I can call it that, I got back from my mission. I'm a dance major at the University of Texas at Austin. And I had this most remarkable experience. First off, I never got to the level where I really was able to appreciate modern dance the way that other people can and do, such as yourself. But uh, we had an assignment. We had to go watch this touring dance company come to the, the college and perform. And we had to go to it. It was a North Carolina modern dance company, I believe okay. is what it was called. Yeah. And so we go there. We've got to write a paper on it. And I'm sitting there. I'm a reluctant attendee. And I had the most unusual experience because I'm watching this. This has never happened before at a dance performance, by the way. Yeah. And I felt the Holy Ghost. And I don't even know what the heck it is they're doing. I mean, I can see what they're performing, but I don't know any story or anything that's related to it because it's modern dance, right? Yeah. And I'm feeling the Holy Ghost. And that sent me into all sorts of questions as to why is it I'm feeling the Holy Ghost? The same feeling I get when I read the Book of Mormon and pray about it to know if it's true or anything else that's related to Mormonism when I have a spiritual experience. But here I am completely separate and divorced, pardon the, the word, but from Mormonism, I'm attending a modern dance performance and I feel the Holy Ghost. I thought that was remarkable. And I, I mean, wanted to I share always, that with you. Well, and I always believed that art brought the spirit and not not the cheesy EFY music. I'm totally sorry if anybody loves that, but like actual beautiful things that touch us outside of Mormonism. I always yes. believed the spirit was in that. Yeah, because there's something too about universal art dance that brings people together without having to speak. You know, you can just view and, and it can be felt by many different people in many different languages. So that's beautiful. I love that. Well, thank you. But you wanted to teach and I think that's exciting. So go ahead. I interrupted you. You get your master's degree and then what happens? 
Yeah. So I finished my master's as the divorce proceedings are going on. Um, luckily, it was clean. Luckily, I didn't have any children. That must have been awfully difficult. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I had support at the U. I had counseling I could go back to. And honestly, I, I separated myself from something completely. You know, I didn't have children. So. Yeah. So was that was it. fortunate. It was a good thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I, I finished my degree up in 2018 and then I landed a job, two adjunct positions teaching at Snow College, which is a little college in Ephraim, which has a fantastic little program mm -hmm. and then, um, BYU. And for those of us like me who aren't that familiar with the geography of Utah, where is Ephraim? I kind of know where Salt Lake City is. I sort of know Provo south of Salt Lake City somewhere. Yeah. So Ephraim is by Manti. If you know the Manti temple, it's about an hour and 15 south of Provo. Oh, okay. So you've got two and adjunct professor means a part-time professor. Yes. So, so no benefits, but part-time load. No benefits, but part-time load. And you've got two of those. So basically you're working full-time. Yes. Plus quite a commute. Yes. Two times a week, an hour down and an hour back. <laughs> wow. You were very busy. Yeah. Well, I had to pay the bills. Right. So yeah. wh where is it you're living at this time? Uh, now I live in Salt Lake City. So you're in Salt Lake City and you commute down to Provo. Oh, sorry. At the mm -hmm. time I was living in Provo. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. I, we are jumping ahead. You know where I'm yeah. going. To Salt Lake City. So go ahead and tell us what happened. So you are an adjunct professor at BYU mm -hmm. and you've been there for, I don't know, a couple of years. And I understand you're really enjoying it and doing great things in the faculty and where your other professors are very supportive. They think a lot of you. Yes. Um, I loved my time teaching at Snow College and BYU. And I also was producing work. I was producing my own shows. I choreograph as well as teach. Um, so uh, I loved it. I was working my way towards a full-time position. I actually got um, a full interview at BYU for a full-time position and met with a general authority because they do that whole process. And that was really interesting. I learned that the most important thing was obedience in that interview. How did you learn that? And who was the general authority? Oh, I should have looked him up. I should have looked him up. Um, not, not a name that we would readily recognize. You might. He's given a few talks in general conference, but it's been it's been a few years. So was it the um, Ponderize one? That's exactly what I was thinking, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to make a quick dollar. You know what I mean? Right. They tried to sell me his T-shirt after. No. <laughs> um, no, I, I couldn't tell you. I could guess, but it would be wrong. But yeah, there was um, just a really interesting interview where the most important thing was obedience. Uh, okay. Satan so left left for disobedience, rebellion. So that was when I learned that's the most important thing to the church. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah. So I, I worked for BYU and Snow College for three years. Um, during that time, I met uh, someone who was really interested in dating, and of course, he was a non-member, which was throwing me off because my patriarchal blessings specifically out of course, uh, marriage, marry a priesthood holder um, in the temple, which I had done. And my husband had stolen credit cards from the temple. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you, you followed your patriarchal blessing and that did not end well. Right. But then I meet this other man who is more Christ-like than a lot of the LDS people I had met or dated. Um, and yet he didn't have the checklist of the priesthood and the, the Mormon Mormon things that I really didn't care as much about. I more cared about the person. Um, so then that was a conflict. Did you feel like you should convert him? 
Yeah. Okay. But I hated that. that. But I hated that. I know, but that's what we know. That's what we're taught. That's our job. If my patriarchal blessing had not said that, I wouldn't have been as, as, um, I don't know, conflicted about it. But mm. because the patriarchal blessing said specifically those things, I was afraid, you know, my whole eternal blessings, everything would be at stake because I didn't follow that plan. And I was terrified of getting married again anyway. So would it, be, would it be a shock to you if you were to find out that basically every other woman who's ever received a patriarchal blessing in this church says the same thing? I would not be shocked, which makes me sad. <laughs> yeah. You might've been shocked then. I don't know. I wasn't listening to what other people, it was all about me, of course, and what my blessings, my eternal blessings were. <laughs> right. This is me so, and God. He gave it to me. So the first time it didn't work out, but you're going to do it the second time and you can do it the same way and marry someone in the temple. So you've got to convert him, but you talked to him about religion. Did you ask him to take the discussions? I did not. Because okay. um, I didn't want to change him, and I respected the reasons why he wasn't interested in the church, um, which included LGBTQ rights, women's rights, um, institutional things, all things that I also had a problem with. Mm. Um, and he probed me on certain things, like word of wisdom. Uh, you know, what does that really mean? Why is it a health code? Is it not? And I'm like, oh, it really isn't entirely a health code because tea and coffee are not necessarily bad for you. Oh, so it just comes down to following the prophet. You know, he kind of helped me dissect my faith, but he did go to church with me. Um, so he's sort of actually giving you the discussions. We, yeah, a little bit. I mean, because <laughs> well, I had we, never been on a mission. I'd never been on a right. mission. You know, so, you're talking about the church and you're talking back and forth and you're sharing views and you yeah. respect him because he's a good guy. Yeah. And you're open to hearing what he has to say and thinking about it. Yep. Yeah. How did that then your testimony mix? Um, again, the things he said, I agreed with. And mm. the things, and it was almost like I was putting my religion to the test to see, well, if God wants me to do this, if God cares about this person I'm dating, who's a wonderful person. And if this church is true, it'll happen. Um, he will, he will be converted because the spirit will do its thing, right? Right. And he honestly gave the church a try. He tried reading the Book of Mormon stuff. He went to some churches, uh, a few different ones. He had he went to a singles ward and loved people there. Um, but in the end, it, it just didn't seem to come full circle. And the reasons why made sense to me. Okay. Yeah. So at some point, and this is just January of this year. So tonight is December 29th, 2021. It's the last Wednesday of this year. But in January of this year, almost 12 months ago, you started having what many people call a faith crisis. Is that right? Yes. And what happens was I, I got married over the summer in the pandemic. <laughs> so the summer in of the 2020. In the spring of 2020. Uh-huh. Okay. I, I did decide to get married. And it was but a not civil, in the temple. Nope, it was a civil wedding. Okay. And I got my ceiling annulled. Um, thank heavens to my other, um, my ex. So I had to do that whole process where I write the first presidency and they approve it. Okay. Um, so you're and not then, his eternally. Oh, sorry. So you're not his eternally. Yeah. <laughs> Funny <laughs> enough, my my husband wasn't too excited about that. So. Really. <laughs> okay. You know, he's like, I don't know about that. So, yeah. So I was able to get that taken care of. And at the time I was like, well, you know, I plan to get married to this other man if it works out. So, you know, I was all 
all in for, for the long haul. Um, so we got married during the pandemic, a beautiful wedding in the mountains and um, eloped. And then, then we were, and just a side note, <laughs> I then found out what a beautiful thing marriage could be to someone who didn't lie to you and who loved you and who respected you. Oh. And that was beautiful. That is beautiful. It is really. By the way, did you just sneak the word eloped in there? Yeah. Yeah. Because we had both been married before. We both did the big wedding and it was a pandemic. So we eloped. <laughs> okay. Just to have a quick, small, but beautiful ceremony in the mountains. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And my bishop performed the ceremony and said beautiful things and it was great. Oh, your bishop did. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So that's in the spring of 2020. By January, the following January of 2021, you're having a faith crisis. How did you get from the, the one to the other? Yes. Yeah, so all the time we had been dating, you know, is praying to to God saying, I really want to do what's right. I want to follow my blessing. And yet, why am I am? <laughs> why do you let me fall in love with this man? Um, and I so desperately wanted to be with somebody who loved me and and who was my equal. And so this was such such a hard thing for me to wrestle with. So that whole year I had been praying to know if the church was true. And I had been really diligently looking for spiritual confirmation because if this was not true, I was sure putting a lot of junk in front of marrying this beautiful man. Um, and I really wanted to do what was right. And so that whole year they had the come follow me manual and I followed that manual. I was never really a big fan of scripture reading because I didn't have a lot of context for what I was reading. So it was hard for me to get spiritual inspiration from it. But that whole year, I diligently read. I followed the manual. I prayed throughout. I wrote notes. I wrote down things I agreed with, things I didn't. I, I tried to study. And so at the end of that year of 2020, I prayed and I followed Moroni's promise. And I just pleaded to know just even a little a little something, a little warm feeling like you're taught in primary. And I tried wording it different ways, you know, if it is thy will or is the church true or, you know, just anything I could. And I, I didn't get anything. I got, I got nothing. And I just felt so abandoned by God in that moment because I knew that I had kind of followed the protocol and I was, I was just yearning for a little something and nothing, nothing came to confirm so that was sort of the big break of the spiritual component, because I always believed, too, I could never quite logic religion. If I tried to completely logic religion, it wouldn't come out. It wouldn't come out equal. You, you can't prove religion to be true. You can't prove, in my opinion, those things to be true because it, it was based on feeling to a certain extent. And I accepted that. Um, but that that was disproven. The spiritual part seemed to be disproven. So then about a month later, I was watching a Scientology docu documentary, the mm. Leah Remini one. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, that's similar to my church. That's similar to my church. And I started thinking, what if I'm being manipulated or, or lied to? And of course, I have baggage from my previous marriage. Can I ask you here, Louisa, yeah. uh, what was the main thing that you saw in the documentary about uh, Scientology that struck you as the most similar to Mormonism? One thing was um, believing that you are saving the world. So these people thought they were going out and saving the world and doing good things. And yet they were being conned. 
So their money was being taken from them. And they, they thought they were, they were good people, for the most part, trying to do good things and help other people. But completely taken, that, that, that drive and that passion was taken over by the institution. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that it was all based on a lie. So if you look at L. Ron Hubbard's life, the story they were being told about its founder was not the true story. And there were certain similarities of controlling information, um, learning about certain tactics, you know, that high demand religions use to keep you busy or to um, discourage looking at anti-literature. Um, mm -hmm. And the financial stuff, the fact that, you know, they, they were sneaky with their finances and basically taking people's money. And it, it's just uh, the hierarchy of the church, um, those kind of things. I just want to say, jump in here for just a second and say that having watched a lot of that Scientology stuff and having watched Mormonism up close and personal, it, it just seems as though, um, what's the best way to say it, that it is so widespread and so in your face in terms of once you step back and see it, like it's the, the amount of effort it takes to obfuscate everything, to deflect everything, to rewrite faithful narratives about problematic issues constantly. I have no choice but to see it as orchestrated, right? That it's, mm. that it's on this mass scale and it's intentional, like Scientology. Does that make yeah. sense? Like, like, does that make sense? Like it happens so far and wide. There are so many moments in Mormonism where the curriculum has to be carefully worded, where the leader changes the question, where uh, they, they obfuscate on being asked to be accountable about something, where Elder Oaks dodges acknowledging even after the fact that, that he was in fact there for the electroshock therapy, uh, that President Nelson in multiple places tells a story about an airplane and and uh, and since we've covered it, I don't think the church has mentioned it once. Um, it happens so far, far and wide, so far spread that it just seems on purpose and on a mass scale orchestrated. Yeah. Yeah. And I think once an institution gets large enough, then it starts to have the like tactics to protect itself. And then that shows up. And luckily, we have the information age of the Internet where we can check it now <laughs> and say, wait. You're making that up. That's a PR move. Right. So is this happening before January of this year or at that time? That's January 2021. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah. then what happens? You're watching the documentary. Pieces are falling into place. Was there anything about your first marriage and the manipulation that you suffered through the lies told by your first husband that played into the feelings you had about the church? I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't say that that wouldn't be connected because I had been lied to and manipulated before. I had that buzzer going off of, oh, am I being manipulated now? Right. Um, By the way, I'm sorry, Louisa, you had mentioned when we talked earlier today that there was a disclaimer. Yeah. That you had yeah. wanted to make. I thought about mentioning it as we got for sure in the BYU stuff, but I will do it now. Um, my intention in coming on today is not to say poor me and victimize because a lot of people might say, well, you made the decision to, to work at BYU. So this is your consequence. And I see that as valid. Um, my intention in sharing my story and my um, experience with BYU though, is to hopefully bring some transparency to this issue because a lot of people aren't really sure how the process works. If you go through a faith crisis and work at BYU. Um, and I think it's vague intentionally. And I think a lot of things were done that were not 
okay <laughs> for an institution to do um, and are not moral. And I think we should be talking about these things. And, and I learned, I think you had mentioned that if you're full-time faculty, sometimes they do sign certain things that say they can't talk about what happened. Luckily, I'm adjunct, so I can speak. So I want to bring transparency to my process. So if you're thinking about going to BYU, if you're thinking about working for BYU, um, even if you're curious about how the how the system works now, that we can shine a light on this and say this is how it is, and these are the unhealthy things. Okay, so let's let's go ahead and lead right into that because you've got the job, you've got your master's degree. This is I, I would think your dream. Uh, yeah. You've got an adjunct professorship. You're now interviewing and have an opening potentially to become a full time professor at BYU teaching what you love, which is modern dance, and then having benefits associated with it and pension and all those other things that you get when you're full-time. What happens next? Um, I realized that now at 30 years old and after watching the documentary and realizing how little I knew about certain aspects of the church, my shelf items needed to be explored now. Um, I couldn't just keep living my life justifying certain things. I wanted to look into the, to the things that bothered me. Um, so I started looking into some of the things. Um, and I mean, some things on, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, how did you look into them and what things? Yeah, so I, I started looking into um, polygamy more in depth. Mm -hmm. I was luckily raised on the idea that Joseph Smith was not a perfect person. Um, so I knew that he wasn't perfect and hated comments in church where people would say that he was, and I would stand up for that um, and say, no, he was a man. Um, but I had never looked into the particulars. So I started looking into Joseph's polygamy, which um, that hit me harder because of my divorce as well, because I found out he was you know, deceiving Emma and lying to her about what he was doing. And I had been lied to <laughs> about what I was doing. Right what my husband was doing. And I thought, how could a God put that woman through that? Or how could a God intentionally tell Joseph to deceive those women? Um, and so either God was wrong or Joseph was a liar. Um, and then of course, you know, what else is he lying about? Right. <laughs> right. When you get to the point where you make that uh, comparison, it's gotta be either God's wrong or Joseph Smith is wrong. Yeah. Or God, or God is just fine with lying to spouses and, you know, the hurt, like, and I, you know, I'm not going to prescribe to that. Right. Right. Yeah. So that was one issue I looked into, um, found, didn't really find a good answer for polygamy and also found some of the dirt about, um, Lucy Walker's story really bothered me. That um, is one of Bill's pet peeves too. Yeah. Cause no matter how you gloss that one over, there's problems there and, and it, it's not, it's not good. So one of the, one of the things that always caught my eye about the polygamy stuff, and I've mentioned it tons of times on the show too, is um, Mary Elizabeth Rawlings Leitner. We tell the story often in church history about where she gathered up the book of commandments in her dress and saves them. And nobody tells you that she is a plural wife of the founder of our religion. Like which facts you choose to share and which facts you don't and which untrue pieces of data you implement into stories tells a lot about what your motives are. And the church seems to always be getting those things wrong. Yeah. 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 And the same happened, you know, when I found out Joseph Smith's wives were a part of the original Relief Society under Emma's right. nose. Right. They're keeping the secret while Emma's complaining about polygamy. Meanwhile, the women she's complaining to 
are secretly behind uh, her back sleeping with her husband. Yeah. And, and yeah. just the fact that we don't acknowledge these women's experience, or if yeah. we do, it's to justify the church in some way. Yeah. Uh, I just, yeah, that, that was just a, that was, that was a problem. Yeah. Um, so that's the polygamy. Was there anything else? Social issues? LGBTQ plus was always a thing because I'm in the arts and yes. I went to the university of Utah and I have friends of various of various different um, sexualities and gender and preferences. And I learned a lot by getting out of Little Rexburg, Idaho and being like these, you know, finally I get to meet other people with other, other perspectives. And I love that. And I love that. Um, and that always rubbed me the wrong way. And so that was again, another issue that I was um, then distanced from. And then when you look at it, <laughs> you know, what the church did with the policies and, and all those things, it just, that's, that's something where I more adamantly could not support. And in my classes at BYU, I would ask my students at the beginning of the semester, if they had any preferred pronouns that they would like me to, me to um, use for them. And I had some, sometimes I would have some students who would kind of snicker at that. And to me, it was important. So, um, yeah, so that was something that, that I uh, just didn't agree with. Um, and then I also looked into the finances of the church and that the fact that they didn't publish their finances and why that was, um, because of course, you know, my husband had been doing things financially <laughs> to, oh, right. to hide things. So again, there are parallels. Yes. Um, and, and I didn't find that comforting. <laughs> Not um, at all. Yeah. But a lot of it did have to do with the truthfulness of, um, prophets of whether they were men of God or whether they were lying, pharisaical people. And, and I didn't think it was black and white, but I thought there was a lot of things I didn't know. Mm -hmm. So it was mainly just looking into the church as an institution and trying to decide is the church, because I know that the church has a culture, is the church though supporting attributes of Christ and is really doing good in this world? Or are they more like Scientology or more pharisaical than I thought, and they're really manipulating. So it was really just trying to figure out, is there good in this church? And, and is it, is it the right thing? Mm -hmm. Even if it's not completely true, <laughs> is it good enough to stay? All those things, all those right. things. So you're asking all these questions, you're entertaining uh, different sides of the equation, mm -hmm. thinking about things, and then you made a critical mistake. That's, <laughs> yeah. how, that's how I put it. A critical mistake. And that was you were honest and you told the truth to somebody. Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> Who was that and what happened? Um, I'm going through this faith crisis. I'm freaking out because I am rethinking my whole religious everything. <laughs> and I get a phone call from my bishop in Salt Lake City. So I now live in Salt Lake City. I only teach at BYU because I can't commute to Snow College. Um. And I'm teaching a pretty heavy load at BYU. This is during the pandemic. And I'm, I'm teaching a lot for them every day. Uh, my bishop calls and says, hey, Louisa, I, I've never done this before because I'm in Salt Lake. I just got, I think, an email from BYU about your endorsement being renewed. And I know that your temple recommend has recently expired. And my heart dropped it completely dropped because I realized in that moment, my job is on the line and my students who I love, I could lose my job. 
And I, I am so grateful that I wasn't single at that time because before I could have, I couldn't afford rent if I didn't have my job, but it was like, it was like an emotional bombshell of, Oh my word, my, my employment is on the line because I don't know if I can answer those temple recommend questions affirmatively. And that is one of the requirements of teaching at BYU. Is, and that was where I wasn't completely sure. Um, I knew that, I knew that they checked with my bishop to endorse me. I wasn't sure if that meant I had to have an active temple. You know, I just had no idea how it went, but I did know that I was expected to have a temple recommend Mm -hmm. um, and to be endorsed by my bishop. And those temple recommends last for two years now, correct? Yes. Okay, so you've gotten one two years before, plus a little bit, it had expired. And I'm guessing that in the midst of everything else that's going on in your life, you kind of lost track of that. Yes, I think I I knew it had been expired, but the temples weren't open because it was the pandemic. Oh, that's right, of course. Yeah, so, and and I hadn't, yeah, so I hadn't gone because they were closed. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. All right, so you get the phone call from your bishop in Salt Lake City, says, I've never done one of these before, but uh, I'm getting word that I need to do one. One of these ecclesiastical endorsements, which, by the way, is not just for students at BYU. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and that was the other thing about the temple was I found out all the Masonic things, and I was like, oh, I'm a Mason. Had no idea. So so the temple itself also was a point of conflict because I was like, wait a second. Oh, you find out all this stuff about the temple and, and yeah, that, that shook me a little, but anyway, where, where a did Mason you find that with, out from, by the way? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just saying a Mason with added guilt and added shame. There's, there's heaps more shame and guilt than the Masons get, but it's the same signs and tokens. Yeah. Yeah. True. <laughs> True. You found that out how, because that is a secret that's not supposed to be getting out there about that Masonic connection. You know, there's this thing called the internet. Oh, where if Jeez. you do a simple search and yes. you look into things, there she is. And you go, what? I have been a Mormon my whole life. And I know that handshake. And mm. I know that. Yeah. Yes. And this is even after they got rid of the penalties and the five points of fellowship. Yes. And all the, and some of the women's stuff that bothered me that now they changed. Right. Yeah. yeah I did the five points of fellowship. It was really cool. Oh, man. <laughs> and the penalties were the best. Yeah, I bet. That means you're really, you really mean it. (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay, Uh, you're finding out all this stuff. Bishop, Bishop, I've got to talk to you. And you've got a decision I guess you've got to make, which is you either tell him how you really feel or you answer the questions the way you know they're supposed to be answered because this isn't your first rodeo. This isn't your first time through a Temple Recommend interview. Yes. Yes, It's supposed to be yes, 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 no, no, yes, yes, no. (laughs) And to be fair, I had already been honest with my bishop a little bit about my faith crisis because he wanted to call me to a calling in the primary presidency. Mm -hmm. And I was unsure because of what I was going through. So I accepted it. But I told him, hey, I'm dealing with some questions. Um, You know something that kind of hacks me off about this? I'm usually not very emotional because I'm a lawyer. But one of the things that kind of hacks me off about this is what we hear in the church all the time is if you have doubts, don't share them with other members, right? Mm. There's one person who's designated that is approved for you to share your doubts with, and that is your bishop. So you are actually directed to share your doubts with your bishop. Yeah, which I did. Yeah. So (laughs) you follow the counsel of the church leaders. 
Well, yeah, and I didn't want to accept a calling if I felt like I would fail later and I wanted to be honest about my struggles. Yeah, he's my mm-hmm. he's my religious leader. And he didn't ask me to go into details about any of it, um, but I, I let it known that I was struggling. So, Okay, so he understands this and you have to come in for an interview or do you do, do, you do it over the phone? We decided to meet. Okay. Um, he, he really, though, he had never done this process before. So he even had questions. He's like, I'm not sure quite how to, how to fill this out. It was very bare minimum. It was like, does this person have a temple recommend? And then I think the second question was, will they be worthy of one within like 90 days? And don't quote me on that because this was verbal, but it was two questions. And he was very transparent about what he received. Um, so I believe we set up a time to meet and, um, Oh, I think actually he said that he just wasn't sure how to answer it. So then I had the decision of whether to reach out to BYUHR or not. And ask, resources. Mm-hmm, and ask how the process would go, which I was kind of scared to do. <laughs> Why were you scared? Uh, because I was afraid of the answer. Um, and I was also afraid to let them know that I was struggling with my faith. Right. Um, it was kind of like letting your employer know that there's a problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, You're counting on HR to handle it correctly, but you don't trust HR. Yeah. It, it felt like, it felt like unleashing, you know, all of my emotional stuff. It was like, I'm going to tell you all my emotional and moral journey, right? Like I've been doing here. <laughs> Let me tell you about my faith crisis and why and all the questions. Um, and you're, you're, you're a university, you're a policy. It, it just, it's all convoluted when it is your moral, your moral center with your employment. Um, yes. And really all they're interested in, they're not interested in the, uh, your faith crisis and the things that you've been going through and how you're feeling and dealing with it and struggling. They just want to know if you can check this box. That's what I wasn't sure about. Yeah. Um, so I, I believe I met with the Bishop. Um, and what I did was I answered some type of recommend. I looked them up again online and I answered the questions at home to kind of see, you know, what things I supported and what things I didn't. And it's really interesting when I go back and look, because a lot of the things I'm still affirmative on, but I have questions. Um, I meet with him. He doesn't feel, I don't think he feels good about giving me a recommend. And I don't either, because if I have big questions about the foundations of the church, I I didn't feel comfortable about it. Um, it may be obvious at this point, but which questions did you have issue with? Let's see. I had it up actually. Um, I had, I had questions about prophets, um, prophets and apostles, whether they were seers and revelators. I had questions about tithing. I had stopped paying my tithing once I found out some of the financial dealings of the church. And I joked with my bishop. I said, I could pay tithing to keep my job. Like, (laughs) ha ha ha. But that's not why I'm in this church. I believe in tithing for different reasons. And so he mm-hmm. didn't he didn't want me to do that. Yeah, so there's my answers. I, I'm a writer. Oh, well, you know, all the questions are important as far as the Temple Recommend interview. But I think the ones that you have issue with are the two main ones that the church is concerned about. Yeah, do you sustain the president of the Church of Jesus Christ? That one ties to Joseph Smith for me. Right. Um, 
So it was kind of profit stuff and institution stuff. And money stuff. Yeah, which ties to institution. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you share this with your bishop. He's understanding. He is seems to be in, in your corner and trying to uh, be a good, to minister to your needs and to your, your position. But he's still got this job he's got to do. And he's got to be honest as he can be and do his job as he sees it. And he reports to BYU that you don't qualify for a temple recommend at this time. Well, what he did was he didn't send that questionnaire in. Um, it said he had 90 days. Uh, he he jokingly in our interview, you know, was like, well, BYU would be silly to fire you. They would be jerks. And I'm sitting there crying like, no, they might. You know, um, he just didn't. He thought that would be ridiculous. So he was totally on my team endorsing me as 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 my bishop. Um, he asked me to maybe look into it if there was a number he could call. Um, I contacted HR on my own. I, I believe I emailed them and then I called them and I asked them about faculty members in faith crisis and if they had ever encountered that before, if, if people kept their jobs. And he was kind on the phone, mm -hmm. but he said that um, you... I've never heard of a situation where a faculty member went through a faith crisis and kept their job. Um, wow. And, you know, when it came down to it, that's, you know, that's, that's just not supported. Um, he didn't have any really real resources for me. And I said, my Bishop is new at this. Is there anybody he can call to ask questions? Cause he has questions. He gave me the HR gave me the number of um, the endorsement office, which I believe is the honor code office, but now renamed. Do you know anything about that, Bill? Is that correct? Uh, I I don't know anything about the name if that changed or if that was what it used to be called. I don't know that. Okay, I don't know, I don't know if they were separate offices, the same office. I'm sure they're connected and they all talk to each other. In fact, sure as hell we know that the BYU, BYU police, police department, department. And, <laughs> yeah. and the honor code office communicate freely to each other. Yes, or at least they have historically. And yeah. we don't know if they still do, but they they're not supposed they, to. Allegedly, they still do. Okay. So you, you, you go to this office, right? But, you know, here's the thing is that I, I'm assuming that you think, well, is there like a hotline? You know, are there resources for this? I've yeah. got an issue. And so there, do you have some sort of department that helps people in this situation? Sure. Or just information about like what's going to happen to me. Um, and then also resources for my bishop. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's not a provo bishop. Right. Okay. So and they basically, give me... oh, go ahead. They give you what? No, yeah. Uh, so they give me the number and I pass it along to Bishop. Um, the Bishop calls them. Uh, after he talks to them, he gives me a phone call and he's transparent through all of it, which is wonderful. He just tells me how the process is going. So he tells me that he called. Well, he actually calls me and said, we should meet. I want to tell you what they said. Which, oh, that sounds like bad news. Yeah, he wanted to tell me in person. Um, apparently he had called them and he had he had prepared really good questions about like, the specificity of the words in the recommend interview mm -hmm. because he wanted to pass me. <laughs> yeah. He he wanted he wanted me to keep my job and he wanted he wanted to support me. He wanted to endorse me ultimately. Um, so he asked some really specific questions about the wording and was really fighting for me. Um, the like person, what does the word sustain mean? Yeah, yeah, or yeah, specifics like that. Um, and he <laughs> he was passed on to a supervisor. Um, the person he was talking to, you know, apparently couldn't, couldn't qualm or couldn't help him. Uh, so he was passed along to a higher supervisor. 
Um, and this is what the bishop told me in the office. And I was there with my husband. Um, and I just cried while he told me this. But he said um, that they gave him the scriptures from Doctrine and Covenants about the three kingdoms of glory. And that um, I was now considered a, a terrestrial person um, and not celestial. And that there are a lot of honorable, honorable people out in the world, um, but they're not at the celestial level. And that the reason they do this is for the safety of their students. And I just bawled. <laughs> I just bawled because I was like, I am the, I'm just trying to do what's right. I'm, I, I would love to keep teaching at BYU. I'm not going to harm my students. I'm not going to talk bad about the church. I teach dance. Right. You teach dance. You're not in the religion department. I believe in, in the attributes of Christ. My teaching isn't going to change. Um, what can I do to keep my job? And yet I was, I was considered less than. Doesn't it seem strange? It seems like a strange thing that the way the church operates is somewhere early in your life, you believe things, you commit to things, you don't understand the full context, and you promise this institution that you're not going to change. Like you're not going to grow, you're not going to adapt, you're not going to have anything move or shift within you. And yet moving and shifting and growing and thinking and wrestling and questioning and being curious, all those things are attributes of a developing human being. And it's like they... They, they almost stunt your growth at around maybe the age of 15, 15 years old, essentially. And you're essentially, whatever you are at 15 years old, you promise to stay that for the rest of your life. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. In, I'm in academia. I might be yes. in dance. I might be in dance, but I wrote a thesis and I believe in intellectual thought. And so the fact that at 30, I'm considering my views more carefully, that's yeah. not encouraged. Or if it is, lie about it. RFM, somebody asked in the comments. There's Logan. Somebody asked about uh, religious discrimination and whether, from the legal standpoint, like discriminating based on religion is illegal, and yet somehow these private schools have some sort of protection, mm -hmm. even though they also receive federal funding, they get a legitimate, full fledged police force. You know, um, do you have any thoughts on that? If I don't know, I know that's not your specificity of law, but do you have any thoughts on what, how they get away with discriminating based on religion? I expect that they get away with it because they can. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I reached and out, I reached out to the legal, that legal uh, or legal based group, free BYU. That I told you about. Yes. Tell us about that group. Free because, BYU. Yeah. Free BYU. And they're set up for students who get kicked out of uh, the university for religion for changing their religious affiliation they get kicked out of their housing they lose their their um everything at BYU and you would think that would be uh you know against the law for religious freedom so I reached out to these people because they help students and really they just ask that LES students are be allowed to change their personal religious beliefs right there without being expelled from the university and evicted from housing and so I reached out to them and asked if there was anything they could do and they sort of helped me um understand what my options were. But in the end, yeah, uh, BYU has the right. It's in my contract, you know, when I sign every semester that I will, um, I don't, you know, I don't know the specific wording, but what I eventually found out, you know, that is if you have ever been a member of the LDS church, you are held to the temple recommend standard. Even if you were baptized at eight years old and have been Catholic all your life, 
you will be held to that standard and they only hire non-members. And I have this in writing. If they, um, if they have uh, already hired somebody of the LDS faith, they're given priority. Right. Well, I think the problem is, is that uh, regardless of all the other temple recommend questions, you absolutely nailed the last question, which is about being honest in all your dealings. That was confusing to me. Because you're at, you're you're knocking that one out of the park, and you're being honest in all your dealings, even when it has the very real potential to harm you and your career. And yet, well, I guess we haven't quite gotten to the rest of the story. Yeah, it's hard. We're kind of skipping ahead to the legalities, but yeah, no, that's the funny thing. I could have answered all the questions affirmatively, and then answered the honesty question no, because I had just lied about everything. Right, or you could have just lied about everything else. And that's what my that's what my ex-husband did was lie when he went to the temple recommend interviews because he had been stealing things his whole life um, and, and other things, other deceptive things. He lied and was able to get into the temple. You know, like, I don't want to be that person. <laughs> Isn't it you, RFM, that said Mormonism makes a liar of us all? Makes liars of us all. I actually <laughs> quoted myself to Louisa earlier today. <laughs> Um, just a quick note too, by the way, you and I both know former or maybe you know current professors. I know I know current professors who are not believing. Um, one of them just texted me and said the ecclesiastical clearance office is a separate office, just so okay. you know. That comes from an, a non-believing BYU professor. <laughs> so FYI. Yeah. Okay. So they have a separate office. then. But this. I'm sure they communicate freely. It would seem to be some overlap there. Mm, at least so, a phone, at least a phone line. Yes. So we left off. I'm sorry. You're crying in your Bishop's office <laughs> as you're talking and your husband's there and he's trying to be supportive as he can be. And your Bishop's trying to be as supportive as he can be. Yeah. But there was this shift where the Bishop, then I realized he, he went into his duty mode. Like that's, yes. that was the verdict. And he had to uphold it. You know, he wasn't like, Oh, this makes me so mad. Or, you know, it was just like, well, you know, that's, that's what they said. So now we're, now we're moving on, you know, it went from kind of like sympathy and mm -hmm. disbelief that they would ever do that to, oh, uphold, uphold the, the rules here. Yeah. It's like Paul McCartney said, you got a job to do, you got to do it well. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and honestly, again, I don't want this to be completely victim, but I think that that wording coming from an institution, a university it came through my bishop, so it was verbal. It wasn't in writing, but that was not something that is appropriate for any religious or for any university, I feel like, in the United States of America to be able to tell people to use religious doctrine against them when they are um, holding their employment intact. So that, that was just wrong. And it negated what the church is trying to teach now in some talks about, hey, don't, don't view people who have faith, who have questions as horrible people. Like that's, that's, you know, if you, if you have questions, that's okay. Right. And this is the part where he talked about you're a terrestrial. Right. Yeah. The scripture that that yes, was thrown at me. Right. Because the honorable people of the world, BYU apparently is not interested in having honorable people to be professors there. Or it's their definition of honorable is people who can say the right things. Right. If you're honorable, but you can't answer the temple recommend questions correctly, you're out. 
But yeah. if you can answer the temple recommends correctly, you're in regardless of whether you're honorable. Yeah. Yeah. So it's more about policy. And then, so then I'm sitting there wondering, okay, is the church itself BYU, the way that they're handling this according to the checklist, or is the church my bishop who is loving and working with me? Well, the problem is it sounds like the bishop is kind of the informer. A little bit, but you know, initially, I mean, he was handling it wonderfully to get, you know, he had a good heart and I'm like, that's how you should treat people. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> so that only, cool. that only deepened my faith crisis. Of yeah, like, put, but when push came to shove and he had to make a decision, he yes. chose well, doing so his what, job for the church. Yeah. And I mean, and what he did was, you know, he said, you have 90 days to figure it out, basically not from that point, for, but from when they sent the email. And 90 um, days to figure it out. Does that mean 90 days to answer the questions correctly? Yes. yes. Okay. Now that's not that hard. You know what it is they want to hear. Why don't I know. you just tell them what they want to hear? I know. From a believer's standpoint, it's easy. Or from a person who says, hey, keep your job and whatever. But I, I don't do that. I don't do that. And nor am I bullied into telling somebody what they want to hear from my beliefs so that I can keep under their thumb. That's I just courageous. Do that. That's brave of you. I know, I know Claudia Bushman, I think at one point said, tell them what they want to hear. They, they don't deserve you on un, un, revealing your real self and what your what thoughts are in your head. She, she said, just tell them what they want to hear. But I think there's a level of, and, and I, there were times where I was dishonest because it was the only way I could keep moving along. And I, I just want to say, like, I admire your bravery and encourage in standing up for your convictions at whatever costs came. Well, my whole time as a member, I would, I would, I would make comments in Sunday school if I disagreed with the with the bishop. I would be somebody who would say, "Hey, you know, all in good humor, but I disagree with that. Like, let's talk about this." I was, I was always about, you know, honesty and and being genuine because there was so much fake perfection crap in church culture. It's like we need to talk about things and we need to be open and to be real. So that was part of my mo in the church was was resisting that culture of fakeness and and kind of lying. I hate, I, I just, I, I don't know. I just couldn't do it. I can't live. I can't live that way about something that's so important to me, my beliefs. Through this process and without, of course, talking about any names, did it come to your knowledge that there were other faculty members at BYU who felt similarly to you in some regard and yet maybe weren't as willing just to tell the truth to their bishop about how they felt? Um, yes, to a certain extent. So it was really interesting because after that point, you know, I kind of felt blackmailed and I, the idea of 90 days or 60, whatever days were left was overwhelming. And so I pretty much knew I was probably going to have to leave. So at that point I, I was telling people, um, BYU faculty that I knew in different, in different places. And it was really interesting people who came out of the woodwork, um, who just told me, you know what? I don't agree with this. And there are things that I don't tell my bishop because I'm afraid to lose my job. And, um, and I also recognize that I am not tenure. I don't have retirement. I don't have children I'm providing for. Um, so yes, it was hard to make that decision for me, but I can only imagine how full-time faculty members, you know, how much more of a weight that is if they're providing for their family. So 
there were there were faculty members who who told me straight out, you know, I I don't tell certain things because I'm terrified I'll lose my job because depending on the bishop, they don't know how they're going to react or their relationship with the bishop. Right, and even with a good bishop like yours, it still had the ending that we're going to talk about here in a minute. And, and let me jump in. I just want to share for just a couple of seconds. Um, let me put a couple of things up on the screen. So there are this whole uh, effort to make BYU more conservative than it is. And there's this tattletale program that allows people to report BYU professors who are either teaching false stuff according to the church uh, or uh, promoting non-belief or a loss of belief. And so I just wanted to put a couple of these up, but there's a, you know, I have a few more hard examples of the absurdities taking place in the BYU English department right now. Professors saying personal responsibility is a white supremacist talking point or Mormon missionaries are guilty of colonizing the minds of the people they teach. Law of chastity serves to other people who, uh, who want to liberate themselves. Um, here's one in a class discussion on gender in the Middle um, East. Bill, professor, Bill, I'm so yeah. sorry. Can you contextualize this a bit more for me? I'm, I'm confused as to who's saying this or yes. where this is coming so from. So there, um, there is a group of people at BYU who have put together a way in which you can go on the internet and report professors for being too liberal or causing faith crises or encouraging non-belief. And these are some of the quotes that come out of that uh, effort. And so this one says, in a class discussion on gender in the Middle East, a professor said, well, since we know that gender is on a spectrum, the brethren actually made a mistake saying gender is eternal in the family proclamation. They were wrong. This was a social science class. Um, this one says, I was taught in class that agency is a construct that doesn't exist. And thus we as human beings are fundamentally determined beings. Um, this guy here talks about how it wasn't anything new. This is J. Max Wilson. He talks about how uh, apostate professors who use their position to undermine faith of their students uh, is not new. Uh, Ezra Taft Benson, going back to 1988, not only are there apostates within our midst, but there are also apostate doctrines taught in our classes from our pulpits and that appear in our publications. And if that isn't enough... And he should know what he's talking about there. Yeah, if that isn't enough... You've got, let me see if I can find it. I thought I had um, Elder Holland here. I got to find it. So I think this is the, the Elder Holland. This is the musket talk, which was clearly geared, uh, at least in part, at BYU professors, teachers, and church schools. But if you go back a little further, do you remember RFM? Uh, Elder Holland gave another talk, The Maxwell Legacy in the 21st Century, oh, maybe about a year earlier. It's uh, Saturday, November 10th, 2019. So I a little over it. two years ago, I guess. Um, and, and in that talk, he was very hard on the Maxwell Institute for being too liberal. The church knows it has a problem. It knows that it's got an issue with its professors, um, with its uh, educators, both at the Maxwell Institute as well as all the BYU schools. This is a pervasive issue where a large chunk of the educators for the church getting paid by the church know the church is not what it's claim claims to be. They are putting in uh, trying to help students to start to wrestle with these things. And the church leaders are adamant. They're going to keep coming at these guys. Uh, and they've already, as you pointed out in an episode not too long ago with Ben Park and Fiona Givens, that they are also going to take action. Uh, and, and as well as the, the James, uh, was it, what was his name? 
James uh, from earlier, maybe Harris or whatnot, but um, the church is going after anybody who doesn't spout the church rhetoric. Right. And one of my favorites, by the way, this was a few years before you started working there, Louisa, but there was an article in the newspaper about uh, it was a BY, it was in the religion department, and someone, when class was not in session, had located under the chair, I think it was a chair up by where the professor spoke, located a tape recorder that was taped up under the chair. And it was one of these tape recorders that automatically begins to record. It's voice activated. Wow. So when someone starts speaking, this tape recorder starts recording. And they had the article about it and said, you know, the police were involved. There's an investigation ongoing. And then I tried to do a search. And that was the one and only article about it. After that, it got dropped like a hot potato. Because we can only imagine why somebody would be putting a voice-activated tape recorder taped up under a chair by where a professor is speaking, especially in the religion department. Now, back to you, Louisa. Well, and I just, I just want to say that's, that's, yeah, it's just scary. Like, like the climate of fear and the fact that, like, so as a professor, I tried to provide a space when I had lecture classes where I wouldn't disclose all of my beliefs in almost anything because I wanted an honest discussion with the class, whether it would be about a certain, you know, piece of artwork. And, and it was kind of about throwing around ideas, right? But I would never preach to my students necessarily um, in, an, in an overt way because I believe in challenging with different ideas. And an idea is an idea. So the fact that some students are, you know, upset that different ideas are being introduced, that's what college is for. The other thing is that in this instance, nobody knew that I was going through a faith crisis. This was all very personal to me. And if it were up to me, I would have kept it to myself <laughs> and dealt with it because it was very personal. But the university brought it out in the open where I had to then be very honest about my doubts and my questions in order to keep my job. And I'm a person, I wanted to stay at BYU and I wanted to keep teaching. And I'm a person who, if somebody had approached me and said, hey, like these are the principles you need to be teaching or, you know, there's something wrong with your teaching or you're, you're spreading these kind of views in class. I mean, I would, I would adapt. I, I would work with somebody, but just the fact that they cut me off so early because I had questions, I hadn't left the church. I was just freaked out and going through a crisis. They cut me off because of that. That was frightening because I, I, it wasn't like I was a super liberal professor in, in an overt way. You know, I didn't see myself as a threat. The only threat was I couldn't, I, I didn't feel honest about answering some questions or paying tithing. <laughs> yeah. And you're not in I mean, you're not choreographing a dance about masonry in the temple. No, no. And I deeply cared for my students and I deeply believed in beautiful principles of the gospel. And that, that was still integrated into my lesson plan. Okay. So. Well, we've got to get to the, um, the climax of this, this um, episode. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of the climax is when then I knew there was kind of no hope. <laughs> um, so the writing's yeah, after... on the wall now. Yeah, I mean, after that, I realized, I mean, my bishop had advocated for me the best he could. And even he had kind of come up short that they were just going to they were just going to cut me loose. So that's when I reached out to Free BYU. Right. Um, I wrote a profile for them to get my story out there. And they kind of helped me a little bit know what my options were, which weren't very, weren't very many. Um, and eventually I, I talked to my um, 
the dance department and they were phenomenal. And they said, we will hire you as long as they let us. Mm-hmm. We love you and, and think you're a wonderful asset to our program. And I have nothing bad to say about the BYU dance program. I mean, everybody who knows me or, or that program is fantastic. Um, they were sad to see me go. So I worked for them up to the moment where they were not allowed to hire me. And then I, I couldn't in good conscience, I think even if I had felt like my faith was improving in the church, I just felt so manipulated by the university. I didn't, I didn't feel like I wanted to go back. I didn't feel like I wanted to keep teaching there, um, even though it, it broke my heart. So I finished my contract and I ended in the summer. The summer of this year, 2021. Yeah. Well, it sounds to me like what BYU did was they lost a person, a faculty member who was very effective, very loved, very uh, respected among fellow faculty and the students who did a great job, who was honorable and who was not a threat to anybody about anything related to the church and wasn't trying to promote your viewpoint about any of the questions or doubts that you had with other faculty or with the students. And this is something, a pattern I'm seeing with the church is that they are consistently enforcing uh, policies that result in them losing their best and their brightest. It's like they're they're involved in, (laughs) they're engaged in a race to the bottom. Yeah, Yeah, I I don't know. There was no mercy, at least from the university itself. Right, but it's not a legalistic religion. (laughs) No, no, not. not, not a high demand fundamentalist one either. Um, obviously being an instructor at the university, being an educator at the university, being forced out, it's abusive, uh, but just because your brain told you that things don't add up and your brain changed its mind about religious beliefs, but it even goes one more step atrocious when you talk about students, you know, they get two, three, three and a half, three and three quarter years in and they have a faith crisis because they no longer believe what they did when they were little kids. And it feels like a very normal thing for people to go through. Yeah. And here you build up these years of education. And when you lose your faith, which you can't help your brain telling you that it's gone. And then they essentially go, you're out on the street, you lose all your credits. You have to start over from absolute scratch. At least you get to keep your degree and move on to apply some other place. The students who lose their testimony for these for these octogenarian uh, white men to decide to have a policy where these kids lose all their credits and have to start over. I, I can't you know, th- there's a there's a there's a million traumas that can be inflicted on a person in this life. But this one certainly seems deeply abusive and unhealthy to essentially get some young adult to start over after having put all that time and energy in resources into an education and they could with a snap of the finger, they could, they could change the policy and find some softer way to let someone have their credits at least and leave, leave with their education that they've attained thus far. But the church doesn't do that. It is a high demand fundamentalist religion. And I don't have a problem using the word cult. Grad students are even worse because Mm. graduate students lose everything, which I found out. Um, they do thesis work. They do research. That is all. That is all non-transferable. That is gone. Wow. And so the worst things I heard were from BYU free free BYU profiles of graduate students who were forced with the decision of lying to complete their graduate work. You have to. 
or losing everything. And then when I found out students were still being treated this way, that's when I was like, oh, I'm speaking up as much as I can about this, not just because faculty, like boohoo, I still have my master's, hopefully I can find another job, but students, that's absolutely not fair because they're at a time in their lives where they should be thinking deeply about those things. Doubt your doubts. Right. <laughs> Everybody bow your head and say yes, damn it. <laughs> just say yes. Yeah. Again, they force you to lie. What, what are your choices to lose your entire, what you've been building up for, what you're trying to make a career out of, the education you've attained, the church really does want you to fake it. And they're perfectly happy if you fake mm -hmm. it. If you keep your mouth shut, keep these crazy thoughts inside your head and don't say them to anyone, they are, they love it. They they don't have any problem with you, you faking it and lying inside, you know, lying outwardly and thinking a different thing inside your head. And uh, in many of these instances, because of the spot they put people in, I've got zero problem with professors or students being dishonest and pretending to the church until they get far enough along that they get to keep the things they've attained. And that's where the tricky part is, is then yeah. the, you know, you can say, well, that's the, that's the university. That's not the church itself, but I'm BS. finding, I'm finding, yeah, there are a lot more similarities. Do you know yeah. who's on the board of BYU? <laughs> the apostles, right? Yeah. Church leaders, seventies yeah. and quorum of the 12 and first presidency. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. an arm of the church. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and if you're, and if you're the president of a church school, You've got about a 50% chance in making it in as an apostle anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an and, arm of the church that manifests itself in an environment where they have a great deal more power over the people who are there than they do maybe outside uh, the university in the regular ward. And what we see is what happens when the church has that power and what they do with that power when they can exercise that power. Well, and that's the similarity I saw with Scientology. Is if you tried to leave, they would blackmail you with whatever they had. And that's what felt like they would hold, you know, you've paid all this money to them and you don't get your money back, right? Like they hold things financially over you. Mm -hmm. And that pressure is just wrong. It's, it's gross. Yeah. Well, I would be remiss if I did not bear my testimony this day. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, that was habit. I would be remiss if I did not ask you to conclude by giving us the denouement after your separation from BYU, after you got cashiered, canned, fired, let go? Uh, I, that was hard. And uh, I, I sort of, it's, uh, it almost feels like when you go through a faith crisis and you feel like everybody will judge you if you don't do good things in your life. <laughs> so now I'm like, well, I hope I get another job because I want to prove that I'm still a good teacher. <laughs> and show them, by the way. I'm yeah, sorry, that's how I would feel. Just a little bit. Like, yes. I want to, yeah. So, so there's, a, I'm still a little bit discouraged because I'm not doing with my master's what I wanted, but I do have a job right now. I'm busy. Um, and I'm, I'm so happy to be doing things where I can have integrity and that weight of not having to worry about my personal religious beliefs being tied to who gives my paycheck is so much more healthy. And so I'm just, I'm very proud of my decision, even though there are some days that feel like I, I, I loved what I did there. So, so in the end, I think it, it's a good thing. Um, yes. And you have a website that I would like for you to promote. <laughs> so my website is my name, LouisaKillian.com. And it just is basically my, um, 
my profile. It has all my choreography, uh, different videos and things listed. Um, my, my resume, things like that. My about, my bio, my artist statement. So yeah. Are you running a studio now? Uh, I am working at a studio right now. Yeah. It's a creative dance slash ballet studio and they pay me well and are wonderful to me. So yeah. Is there any way that our listeners, uh, could, we could funnel students your way if anybody's interested <laughs> in studying? Well, I'm actually busy. I'm pretty busy right now. I'm going to be a, opening an adult class, but I'm working on, uh, I applied for a, a position at UVU. I applied for a few positions around. So I'm still kind of on the hunt for a university position where I can serve people better that way. Mm -hmm. um, but at the moment, I'm busy enough that I, I don't feel the need to kind of advocate for more students. But if anybody wants adult classes, you know, they can contact me through my website and I can direct them where I teach. So, okay. And that's louisakillian.com, correct? Yep. Mm -hmm. L-O-U-I-S-A-K-I-L-L-I-A-N.com. Uh -huh. Yeah. Can I add something else here before we jump to phone calls? This person here, B.R. Horton says, if you don't believe the faith, then why go to a faith-based school? And I just want to say that question kind of pisses me off because, um, when you're eight years old and baptized and you still believe in Santa Claus, when you're, you know, you're 12 years old and you're 14 years old and you're 16 years old and you believe in a religion, whatever religion it is, name it, it doesn't matter. But let's, let's assume some of the worst ones, Scientology, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, any other high demand fundamentalist religion that's out there. And you believe in it because you've been programmed to believe in it. You're raised in it. Now you choose to go to a school that is sponsored by your religion. And as you think about the world and you wrestle with things and you get curious and you start thinking critically and start asking questions and suddenly whatever belief system is, because even Mormons believe all the rest of them are wrong. So if you decide like, wait a minute, this, this thing doesn't add up. And now I'm 22 years old and I'm in my third year of college and suddenly it doesn't, it doesn't add up anymore. And I want to be honest to myself and the world. And my only option is if I do that, every single credit hour that I've earned gets taken away. I would say, B.R. Horton, your question is idiotic. And it, um, it perpetuates the abuse that is going on. And it fails to recognize how easy it is for kids to believe in all kinds of things, including all the religions you think are false. And then to have that change and not to be compassionate and kind to these young adults who are trying to figure out their way in the world. And so for B.R. Horton, I, I, I think you're part of the problem. Well, I think it makes sense if you believe people never change. Yeah. If you don't allow for people to change, because the answer, you know, people will say that too. Well, if you don't believe why work at a university, I believed when I worked there. Um, I just right, had questions so. or, or when a student applies, they believed, but they change or they have questions. And so if you don't allow people to change, I mean, that's just cruel. That's, that's viewing us as isolated beings that never grow or aren't allowed to have belief in anything because I think belief is a lot more complex. Yeah. And, and I'll say too, because this is our show and it's not B.R. Horton's, I'll just say B.R. Horton, you're a fool. Like that's a foolish take. It's an absolute foolish take. And it, it doesn't, it's not sensitive to kids, young adults who are still kids trying to figure out their way in the world. It's insensitive. It's abusive. 
and it's it only perpetuates harm. Well, you heard it here first, folks. But it also, um, uh, yeah, and I don't think we're talking about anybody that I know of who actually goes to BYU pretending and getting a job under false pretenses that they that they're LDS, they don't really believe, and then they get their job, and then they start telling their bishop that they don't really believe because I doubt that happens a lot because if you don't really believe and you get a job, you're not going to be telling your bishop you don't really believe because you already defrauded them in the first place. Why would you, you know, be honest later on? And it also, it also, um, there's this other aspect to it is that if you have never been LDS and you do not have a part in the religion and you don't believe in the religion and never have, then yes, you can get a job at BYU and nothing happens to you at BYU. Uh, let's say, I don't know, you have no particular religion. Let's say you're a Catholic, okay, a nominal Catholic, and you go to BYU. You're fine there if you decide, well, hey, I want to be Lutheran. Yeah. That's fine. Or if I decide I'm going to be an atheist, you know, that's I don't know actually about that. But, um, uh, but yeah, you can change your religion, and, you know, you're really golden if you change to Mormonism. That would be the best of all worlds. Yeah. The problem is as soon as you change to Mormonism, now you've got these additional burdens associated with this and additional responsibilities. And then if you were to have the issue that you had, Louisa, and tell your bishop, then you're going to be out. Whereas if you hadn't converted to Mormonism in the first place, then your way is clear. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, there's no going back. Once you reach a highest rung, you're not allowed to go back even for a moment. There's no Christ-like mercy there. You, you can't fall. You have to stay up at that standard whether you're doing it or not so that you can stay in the club is what it felt like. That's why I asked specifically about non-members. I said, well, I think you guys hire non-members. How do you treat them? And that's when, you know, I found out that, oh, if, even if you've ever been a member of the church, you are held to that temple recommend standard. Um, so it's, it's just, yeah, it was, it was very revealing to how the whole process worked. Yes. Well, I, I appreciate your being on the show. We've got a caller who has called in and I think I know who it is because he had contacted me earlier. And I had put Maven, who's our call screener, on alert for his call. He also being a professor at BYU, I think in the English department, if this is the individual, I think it is. Oh, if we wow. can get the, the phone call in, I'm not going to mention the name right now. Yeah, I think no. he won't yeah. have any problem mentioning his name, but I don't want to do it for him. Yeah, let's let him do it. I'll put him on the show here now. Uh, are you there, caller? Uh, can you guys hear me? Can you guys hear him? Yeah, can you guys hear me? Perfect. Yes, can you hear me? Can you hear? I can. Perfect. Go ahead, so, yeah, my friend. I, I'm I'm the one that uh, that RF had mentioned. So. Yeah, yeah. And I'll Let's... say my name. My name is Chris. If, if someone can figure it out, that's that's uh, fine. Maybe someone can reach out. But um, so I wanted to uh, thank Louisa. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly uh, for coming on because but the more I listen to your story, it's strikingly similar to mine. Um, I actually just snow right now, so it's kind of fun. I think we actually overlapped. Um, for maybe one year, I started 2019. But I, but I, I just wanted to quickly kind of share my experience too, just to validate, to validate uh, yours. And if there's anyone listening that maybe can benefit from this, Chris, can I ask you um, a question? So feel free to cut me off. I'll... Yeah, Chris, yeah, I'm cutting you off. No, actually, yeah. all I'm doing is, uh, it's a little yeah. bit sketchy. Your connection. Is there anything you can do, like bringing the phone closer to your mouth or walking around to where you might have a better? signal because I really want the audience to hear what you have to say. 
Yeah, I can try. Is it sounded better at that all? That sounded a little bit better to me. Okay. Well, I live in the sticks, so that might be part of the problem, but it might be, but go um, ahead. Yeah, so I just wanted to kind of throw in my experience because it's very, very similar. Um, and I had, I even had the same disclaimer that I'm not claiming to be some sort of victim. Um, and I think the stakes are lower for me too because I was part time or am part time. Um, and I have been uh, a part time instructor in, in the English department for about 10 years. Is that a BYU? Um, and yeah, this is BYU. So I was at UVU and, and BYU. Now people are really good. Oh, I'm um, sorry. But uh, I yeah. haven't actually mentioned uh, your last name yet. I No, no, no. No, it's fine. I, I actually am okay with people reaching out. I think it would be good to talk to people who might want to or need to. Um, so I started having some faith issues in about 2012. And uh, like Louisa, I thought, you know, I need to be honest. So I talked to my bishop. And then it was probably two, three days later, I got a call from him. Um, I don't even remember the office at this point, if it was related to the honor code or what, but it was a call to come in and I didn't even make the connection that it was with the conversation I had with the bishop who I basically told I maybe shouldn't have a recommend right now because I'm having some issues with things. And, and that's what it, it was basically a, a notice to uh, finish out the semester and then I was terminated and I thought, whoa, that was very quick. Okay. Uh, what can I do? And um, I think it was a similar situation but it was about a 90 day probation and, and it was, it was a weird situation because I'm thinking, you know, do I, <laughs> I, I'm making a significant amount of money, you know, to support my family while I'm teaching at BYU. And I really love teaching there as well. I didn't have a, a really negative experience. Um, so do I, do I lie about this or do I, you know, just be completely honest and totally lose my job and, and, and my choice was to sort of carve out um, a super nuanced kind of middle way, which which I, I was honest about, and I was trying to kind of make things work, but um, it, it was tough. And just this constant, you know, yearly checkup, the roulette thing is real, you know. Some bishops would just endorse you automatically, not even say anything. If you had a calling, at least in my experience. If you didn't and there was any issue, uh, yeah, you, you got called in, and it was, okay, how are we going to do this? which questions do I need to sort of dance around and interpret in certain ways. And um, it was just a uh, weird sort of ethical spot to be in. And um, I, I think that this came up in the interview, but this fear of like infecting students and spreading doubt, which I thought is totally ridiculous. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think I'm the best teacher at BYU, but I have extremely high evals. And probably hundreds of comments of students specifically saying that, you know, there was a, you know, a level of spirituality in the class, even though it was an English class. Um, I would bring in stuff because it's BYU and you get evaluated on that. Um, and so I was thought, oh, well, it won't be a problem. I mean, I have good evals, but I was just super naive. Um, it's, you know, you follow that, that, that path or you're out. Um, so sorry, I don't want to take up any more time, but that's just kind of my quick experience. And there are probably a lot of people in the same situation right now. Oh, yeah. Do you know that personally, that there's a lot of other professors in the same situation? 
Um, yes, to different degrees. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I, I know about a half dozen professors, actually probably four or five professors who are currently educators at church schools who don't believe. I know another two or three who are former. Uh, you and I have had numerous conversations with one of those RFM. I mm -hmm. won't say who or right. that person, you know, still a little ambiguous, but. Well, and that's know. so, that's really interesting to hear about mm -hmm. if they have a calling, they pass you through. Because my sister worked at BYU-Idaho and didn't have a recommend for a little bit, but they let her teach. And I had a calling in the primary sure. presidency at the time, um, but they, you know, but that still wasn't enough, apparently. Um, yeah, so. and I think that's where it makes it, yeah, it, it's scary a little bit to have a, it's just kind of a random bishop. I mean, you might have a super progressive bishop that's like, are you a good teacher? Okay, whatever. You know, I don't really care. <laughs> That's probably not as common in Utah, but um, yeah, I don't know. It, it seems like there's no like clear calculus there to explain how a bishop's going to react. And I think I, I think kind of like your bishop, mine at the time, this was in about 2017, really really good man. I mean, I respect him, and but at the end of the day, it was just kind of well, like I got to follow the rules, and I don't fault anybody uh, in that position, but um, yeah, I just I was a little bit naive, I think. So. Yeah, and I didn't want my bishop to lie either for me. That was something I, I agreed mm -hmm. with him on. But yeah, it, it was like, how many things do I have to do right? Oh, I have to do all of them. I have to go to church and hold the and garments and tithing. And, you know, you unless you unless you slip up on one, if you slipped up on one thing, there it all goes. It mm -hmm. felt, yeah, but thank you for sharing. It's nice to know there mm -hmm. are people out there. <laughs> yeah, thanks for being on the show. Chris, thank you so much for calling in and thanks sharing your experience. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's okay. been a pleasure. Have a great day. So uh, Nicola's on the line. She's a regular caller. I'm going to pull her up. Nicola, you are on Mormonism Live with Bill and RFM and Louisa. And uh, what's on your mind tonight, my friend? Well, first of all, I'm really glad that you had this because I feel so bad for all of the BYU professors that are in this situation i think it's horrible they're like it's like they're behind i have a hard enough time just living in the state let alone having to work at byu and keep your mouth shut or decide whether you're going to come out in the open uh but martha beck was one of the books that my husband read to me when we were leaving the church and um she said her phone line they bugged her phone line about um uh to find information. I guess she was left with when all those people left. And also, there's that guy that went there as a student that I just couldn't get over, that calendar guy that did return missionaries, and they wanted, they tried to force him to not do the calendar, but he'd already made commitments. And he graduated, and they wouldn't give him his diploma, but he finished all his classes. So, like, I mean, they kind of lost credibility with me, because it's like a really controlling university i just feel so bad for everybody that's wrapped up in it and also i also get angry when people say isn't the university the idea that you go to university that you question everything like question, university is the time that you're meant to figure things out where yeah. it's like a time that things are meant to grow and i i i mean the fact if you lose it even if you're in a professor and you're in your your university um, I've heard of other professors that have been working for other um, uh, state uh, 
places that have lost their faith during the time that they were... Uh, I actually know some that have lost their faith while they've been at other universities, and they haven't even had to come out and discuss it. It's just really, really so evasive that they make you come out and discuss how you feel about things that are personal. Because right now, I couldn't even tell you what I believe and what I don't believe. Yeah. Right. Thank you. So Thank you. I, I, I appreciate you coming on there. I really do. Thank you, Nicola. Thank you, Nicola. Thank you so much. And I wanted to follow up on something that Nicola said is about this control. And I and when she said, isn't a university a place you go to to question everything? And I went, no, because that's absolutely not what BYU is about. BYU is a place where you go to learn nothing and to not be challenged with anything, but to recite what you have learned since you were a kid in primary, which is one of the reasons I say that in the LDS church, you never really graduate from primary. Yeah, it, it is a strange thing, right? Like we look at Scientology and it it goes through its ex-members trash, it follows them in vehicles, it it buys houses sometimes next door to them so that they can spy on them. And you think that's insane. That's insane. But then you see what the church did with the uh, following, you know, p- putting spies at the gay bars and at around Provo and and uh trying to uh, essentially watch what members do. We've got the Strengthening Church Members Committee. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the stuff that goes on where you talked about the tape recorder under the desk. Mormonism is just a small little hop, skip, and a step away from doing the very things that Scientology does that we're all appalled by. And something that's kind of so obvious that it escaped me until just a second ago, which is I should not overlook the whole reason the system and this office is put in place. Yeah. And that is to have periodic, regular interviews with faculty members to make sure that they are still following the covenant path to coin a phrase. And if they have strayed from it, that consequences will ensue. Yeah. Yeah. Everything is a form of you better say the right things or we will punish you in some way. Right. And we've got all these systems in place in the LDS church to monitor that and make sure that nobody is going off the reservation. Mm -hmm. Tithing settlement, too. We celebrate Christmas, that special holiday season, by making sure that members are paying their tithing so that they can qualify to go to the temple so that they can be not terrestrial people, Louisa, but celestial people. Yeah, Mormonism argues it's there to make families together forever, but it actually argues the position that the family is already essentially together forever. If you don't check all the boxes, now you won't be. Yeah, the Celestial Kingdom is a club, and there are membership dues that must be paid. Yeah, and if you're high enough up, you get a second anointing too, right, RFM? Oh my gosh. I skipped the second anointing. I went right to the third anointing. Have you not been looking at my Facebook page? I haven't. I'll have to check it out. I'll have to check it out. I'll, I'll look at it tonight after the show. We've got two more callers. We'll try to sneak in here really quick. Uh, Sam wants to ask how the church can improve this problem. Uh, Sam, you're on Mormonism Live with Bill Real and RFM and Louisa. What are your thoughts tonight? Hi, Bill and RFM. Um, are you able to hear me? Yep, we hear you cloud and clear. Okay, great. Um, yeah, so I mean, we, we know that the church is hemorrhaging members. People are leaving left and right for the a lot of the same reasons that, that you've mentioned, Louisa, on the show today. Um, but my question is, how 
is it possible for the church to change and improve or for BYU to change and improve while keeping the level of devotion that they have among their members um, without just collapsing on itself due to, you know, people not feeling motivated to, to do anything anymore? What do you think, Louisa? Um, well, I'm trying to kind of decipher that question because that's multifaceted, but I guess I could answer from my experience if this is what you were asking is, I mean, I was just surprised at the way that things were handled. And I feel like things could be handled differently with the university itself. For instance, this free BYU thing, all they want to do is keep students in their housing. And, and so if they change their belief, they're able to um, finish their education or at least transfer their education, right? Um, and so I feel like little things like that or the way that they go about faculty members who have a faith crisis instead of like immediately throwing policy at them or not talking to them directly or not talking to people they work with or looking at student reviews um, instead of instead of all that. I mean, actually, I, even if I had a conversation about what was expected of me, because the, the process was so vague um, as to what made me a good person or a good teacher or not. Um, that that to me was very harmful. So I would suggest if they want to change, they need, and they say they're a church school, then they need to have policies that reflect the gospel that they preach instead of policies that um, contradict. Because I think then you're going to get, if you have more um, inclusive and merciful ways of going about it, you're going to keep devoted members because I was a devoted member trying to figure out what this church was that I was a part of. I hadn't decided either way. So if we treat people the way that we should be treated, I think they're going to get a better response instead of being viewed and compared to Scientology type structures. Yeah. A, a survey came out recently and it, it did not include Scientology. It didn't include a lot of little religions that I would call high demand fundamentalist religions. It didn't include Jehovah's Witnesses, but it did include Mormons and about maybe 12 to 15 others. And the study showed that about 39% of the respondents reported being harmed by religion. Mormonism was 20 points higher at 59%, and Mormonism was the highest on the survey. Out of all the different faiths that were significant enough to get a response from, Mormons were the highest uh, degree of respondents who reported being harmed by religion. Atheists were second, which makes sense. Atheists generally would have left some religion out of feeling the harm that came from it. Some of those atheists would be former Mormons, but just actual believing part of the faith Mormons, 59%, this was young people, by the way, 59% reported being harmed in some way by their faith. That to me is astounding. It is astounding, Bill. And thanks for bringing that up. The only thing I would have to add to the question that was asked is, uh, I guess it all depends on what you want as a church. Do you want people as members as members who actually have true devotion to the church and to the tenets of the church and the beliefs that the church wants you to have? Or do you want people who pretend? Yeah. And then who lie about it to your face? Because I think that the system that's set up, I understand, I think, why they're doing it. But, you know, Bill is the heart of the program. I'm more the um, uh, more up here in my head. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem very effective. In fact, it seems counterproductive to do things the way they're doing, because what they're actually doing is uh, creating a system that um, produces 
fake Mormons. Their own abuse and unhealthiness creates the very enemies of the church. In other words, if the church said, look, our truth claims they are what they are, let's just quit fighting over them. We'll, we'll proclaim our message. We'll try to be as honest as we can, not as honest as we know how to be, but actually be honest. And if they just laid it out and said, look, we're just going to, we're going to hold to these stories, but we're going to treat people good. They would have so many less enemies, so many more, so many less people pointing out the discrepancies on the, on the history. They'd have so many less people who are pointing out the abuses on, on social issues and in individual circumstances. And, and they wouldn't have to combat that. Anytime someone starts to get curious, they're going to go on the internet and find the very people that the church abused pointing out those abuses and it ends up pulling more people out of the church. They're their own worst enemy. Right. And I understand, uh, just so you know, I understand the church having concern with uh, professors in the religion department. That they are, you know, they're spouting the party line. They're not subverting the leadership of the church or doing, thing, doing things or teaching things contrary to the doctrines of the church. That I get. But when you're out here in the dance department or English department or whatever department that has nothing to do with teaching uh, the gospel or the principles of the church, then it seems a bit overboard. And in fact, as we have seen, counterproductive. Um, well, I was gonna, yes, go ahead. Here's, here's just a quick suggestion from a believing point of view. If you believe in a bishop's endorsement, then let's believe that the bishop, you know, has, has that authority to make that call. My bishop did endorse me. But the policy itself stopped him from saying, you know what, she's she's fine to teach at BYU. She has enough of a spiritual grounding. You know, she's not completely throwing everything out of the church. She believes in good things. Let her teach. But the fact that they they don't actually care about the bishop's endorsement, they care about the answer to that question. I think that's a big that's a big problem that if you're maybe a believing and then, of course, you get into problems with bishops roulette. But if you are a believing member, maybe you actually take that into consideration where somebody's job is not on the line based on a small checklist. There's there's much more that you could consider in that like, situation. Like student evaluations? Sure. I mean, I don't think students should have that much power, but I would be wonder I would support that because I loved my students and I think they loved me. By the <laughs> way, that reminded me of the other thing I was going to say about this whole tattletale program. What an that's a bad idea for a number of reasons. And the first thing that occurs to me, well, the third thing that occurs to me is, so what do you do if you're a student and you have a professor you don't like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's rife with abuse. It's abusive yeah. in the first place, but even this abusive program is subject to its own abuse. Yeah. Some, somebody's asking, they've got a, a foreign looking name. They're asking what the SCMC is. It's a strengthening church members committee the church tried to keep it secret um, uh, maybe about a decade, decade and a half ago. Um, it clearly admitted, maybe more than that, right? 1990. 25, 20, yeah, okay, so much longer. It clearly admitted that the organization exists. It's a committee. By the of, way, it accidentally slipped. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a committee of members and leaders who watch all of the conversations that are taking place. In Including print. ours right now tonight. Yep, including ours tonight. In media, in print, they record every instance where anybody who is on the inside of the church, and I assume outside of the church as well, who criticizes the faith, there is a record kept of the things they say and they do so that it can be later used against them in some way, uh, either to excommunicate them, discipline them, quiet them, hush them, um, 
manipulate them into going silent or removing them from the fold so that they can't uh, hurt anybody's faith inside the church. And so even telling the true history of the church gets you on the list. Right, the naughty list. And the SCMC gives meaning to the hymn, angels above us are silent notes taking. Yeah. But those angels are above us in the sense that they're in an upper floor of the church office building. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but the good thing about the SCMC is that Friday, Friday is our rodeo roundup day. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'll see if gets that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we got our last caller here. By the way, put it in the comments if you get that. We'll go to our last caller here. This is Pat. She is uh, shocked at how quickly the church drops people without offering any kind of help. Uh, Pat, you're on the line with Mormonism Live with RFM, Bill Real, and Louisa. What's your thoughts uh, uh, as you kind of conclude our show? When I called in first, I was thinking how it's just heartbreaking to see that this that people say I'm having a, a faith crisis, and instead of them having a program or referral, let's help, let's be Christ-like and let's help and love this person. They boot them out, and it's just I mean, just like it was a gut punch. That was to call it anyway. But as I was waiting, I was thinking, well, we most of us leave the church and we think. Do the, do the 12 know all this is going on? Do they know? Do they know? And then we figure out they do know. They but do I'm know. thinking these people know. They you, know that there's nothing to offer the teachers. So let's cut to chase and get rid of them because yeah. they have nothing to offer them. They have yeah. no truth to offer them. It's just uh, very sad. Pat, were you asking if the prophets know? Yes, yes, okay. all of them. You know, yeah. who else and that's the natural first question. They the, un- the unfortunate yes. truth is not only do they know they're behind it, they're the ones who created this or at least gave the stamp of approval on it. Right. And then with this, they know there's no path forward for someone who's having questions because it's going to lead them to the truth, which is that they have been lying. So yeah. they got to get rid of them. Yeah. Thank you. you know, there is no other way. Yeah. It's what Jesus would do. Thank you for the call. I would have even okay, taken some you, support. <laughs> I would even have taken some support without answers. Just support from the university would have been nice. You know yeah. how much it means. It's amazing, but how much it means just to have somebody who will listen. Yeah, or or explain it to me. You know, in in sitting down with me, I explain how I'm feeling. They they tell me what you know instead of passing it through a bishop, a scripture. I mean, that was just cold, and I felt yes. I felt very um, disposable. Louise, are you still a member today? I do still have my membership records. Yeah, as a part of the church, I haven't resigned. Gotcha. Um, it, it is strange, right? Like, we have this scripture that Christ leaves the 90 and 9 to go after the 1, but in Mormonism, the 1 is gone because the church sent them packing. <laughs> and, well, yeah, right? Jesus is up there on the top of the church office building with a sniper rifle. Right, right. Taking, picking people off one at a time. Yeah, he's up there on the bell tower. <laughs> or the clock oh, tower. Oh, man. Yeah. By, well, by the I, way, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, and it, and it didn't do anything really to help my faith crisis. So no. I might still be a member in, you know, in documents, but I haven't been for a little while. And it just, it damages people when they're, when they're treated like that. So. It, it wouldn't matter if you resigned or not, Louisa. They're still counting you. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, just for my, you know, for my yeah. own beliefs, which they care so much about. Yeah. I, I want to say we, most of our shows, we get about 350 to 450 during the live portion of the show uh, watching. And tonight I saw at least at 1.508. Uh, so great show, by the way, great conversation. I think people really loved it as I watched the comments and everything. And, uh, I know our family will want to say thank you as well, but I just want to say thank you for your time too. I do want to say thank you so much, Louisa. And I don't want to end this with a joke because it's not really a joke, no. but, but there yeah. are two, I attribute this high number, not only to the subject and to you being on, but there really are only two kinds of beings in the galaxy, those who can dance and those who can't. Amen. And the leaders of the church can't dance. No. <laughs> well, I, I really appreciate the support. I think a lot of people are wondering how this process really does work because there's yeah. a lot of question marks. Yeah. Th thanks for the two of you putting the show together. It, I, the conversation I think is much needed. And uh, I'm just deeply gracious to both of you for facilitating this conversation. Yes. Thank you again, Louisa. And that, uh, uh, that, uh, Website again is louisakillian.com. I also want to do a shout out to Chris uh, for calling in and sharing his experience as well. And thanks to everybody for your comments, for your live chat, for your donations, hint, hint, yeah. and for everything that you've done to make this year so great at Mormonism Live. Oh, I love this picture of you. I'm, that's my favorite picture from your website. That is you, isn't it? Yeah, it makes me look really cool. I How like are you defying like gravity it. like that? That's great. <laughs> lots of upper body strength, believe it or not. Yes. Lots of push-ups. <laughs> no, I can see it. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Some of this opposition even comes from church members. Some who use personal reasoning or wisdom to resist prophetic direction give themselves a label borrowed from elected bodies the loyal opposition. However appropriate for a democracy, there's no warrant for this concept in the government of God's kingdom, where questions are honored, but opposition is not.